Good morning, Fullerton. Here are your headlines for the week of July 18th. Number one, fireworks may be the cause of Fullerton house fire. A fire at 1025 Crestview Drive was reported at 11.17 p.m. on the 4th of July. Fulton fire units arrived and found a fully involved garage fire extending into the attic of the residence. Fulton fire was assisted by Anaheim, LA County, and Newport Beach fire departments in putting out the fire. Shortly after the arrival, the fire was under control. No injuries were reported to the occupants of the residence or fire department personnel. The estimated fire loss is approximately $250,000. Deputy Chief John Fuget told the observer, the cause of the fire is currently under investigation and fireworks is one of the causes of the fire that still needs to be ruled out by the investigators. According to Fugit, on July 4, the fire department had nine possible fires related to fireworks. Number 2. Hunt Library Severely Damaged The city-owned Hunt Branch Library has recently experienced extensive vandalism in the form of broken windows and graffiti. Gifted to the city of Fullerton by industrialist and art collector Norton Simon, the hunt served as a branch of the Fulton Public Library from 1962 to 2013, when the Fulton City Council chose to defund it and lease it to a neighboring property owner. The hunt library was safe from being sold through the efforts of local community members and saved the hunt group. A hunt library ad hoc committee has sought proposals for possible uses of the hunt for literacy, arts, and culture programs, although the agreement with the two art organizations it selected may be terminated soon. The city has secured over $5 million in state funding to revitalize the hunt, from efforts by Assemblymember Sharon Quirksilva and State Senator Josh Newman. At their June 8 meeting, the Planning Commission voted to install additional fencing around the hunt library area to protect against vandalism. Planning Commissioner Chair Doug Cox shared recent photos he'd taken of the Hunt Branch Library showing many smashed windows, graffiti, and other vandalism. Security issues are paramount, or we won't have a library left, Jane Reifer of Save the Hunt told The Observer. Number 3. City outsources IT for over $3 million per year. City Council approved an agreement on June 21 with Glassbox Technology, Inc. for information technology projects and services at an approximate monthly cost of $280,000, which works out to over $3.3 million per year. This agreement extends through June 2023, however, it could be extended through 2026 should the city choose to do so. The city began contracting out IT services to Glassbox in 2019 and has gradually increased its reliance on this private company to both upgrade and enhance the city's IT infrastructure and to provide some IT services that were once done by city staff. Currently, Fullerton's police chief Robert Dunn is the city's head of IT. According to the city's check register of payments, Fulton has paid over $5.4 million to Glassbox since 2019. City staff recommended extending the city's agreement with Glassbox. Quote, because of the need to continue citywide IT enhancements, the complexity of the information technology environment, and the need to actively monitor and respond to the constant threat of cyber attacks. End quote. Prior to contracting with Glassbox, Fulton's IT department consisted of three employees. An IT manager and some services were contracted out. Fulton began outsourcing with Glassbox following the so-called data breach in which a local blogger obtained and published city information without the city's permission. It was later determined that the data breach was not the result of hacking but rather of lax city IT protocols. The city hired Glassbox to perform an audit analysis of its IT. Since then, the scope of work of Glassbox has increased to cover many city upgrades and functions. 
Chief Dunn told the Observer that it is the city's goal to eventually bring IT functions back to in-house, but this would likely not happen for a year and a half to two years. Number 4. Grand Jury Report Cites Leadership and Transparency Issues with OC Power Authority A June 24 Orange County Grand Jury Report entitled, Orange County Power Authority, Come Clean, lays out significant leadership and transparency concerns with this new public agency. OCPA is a community choice energy agency that was established in 2020 to give member cities a greater mix of renewable energy. Currently, OCPA's members include Irvine, Fullerton, Huntington Beach, Buena Park, and unincorporated areas of Orange County. The report expresses concern with the lack of relevant experience of OCPA CEO Brian Probolsky. The grand jury report also cites numerous problems with OCPA transparency. For example, the report reads, as of early April 2022, past the start date for commercial customers, neither the OCPA notices that were required to be mailed to customers nor the OCPA website contained any direct mention of the increased charges that would be incurred due to the default green energy tiers selected by member cities for their businesses and residents. The grand jury is awaiting a response from OCPA. Meanwhile, the city of Irvine has approved an audit of the OCPA and other member cities, including Fullerton, have supported this. That is it for this week's headlines. The journalists behind these stories are Jerry Green and Jesse Latour. Next up, we have an interview with Christian Esteban. Christian Esteban is the executive director of Hoya Scholars, a Fulton nonprofit that prepares first generation students for college success. Christian graduated from UC Irvine in 2014 with degrees in psychology and social behavior and anthropology. He then served as an AmeriCorps Fellow with 1OC, a Santa Ana nonprofit that accelerates nonprofit success. Kristen joined Hoya Scholars in 2015 as a volunteer mentor. In 2017, he was hired as Hoya's Program Director, and in 2019 was promoted to Executive Director. In 2019, Kristen received the Angel Light Academy Above and Beyond Award for Excellence in Youth Programming, focusing on community leadership and service. In 2020, he received the Love Takes Action Award from the New York Life Foundation. Hoya Scholars was awarded $50,000 in recognition of Christian's leadership in response of the COVID-19 pandemic. Christian also serves on the boards of the Rotary Club of Fullerton, the Fulton Collaborative, and the Orange County Nonprofit Professionals Network. Christian lives in Tustin with his wife, Jessica, and their dog, Denver. Enjoy the interview. On this episode of the Observing Fullerton podcast, we have Christian Esteban. He is the executive director of Hoya Scholars. And the rest of his introduction, I'll let him do himself. Let him do it himself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Arouge, for the no invitation. Problem. I absolutely love the work that you're doing here mm-hmm. on the Fullerton Observer YouTube channel and um, the podcast and everything. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. Um, so I wanted to, like I mentioned to you before, I wanted to introduce myself with a quick anecdote and um, not to completely take over the interview at the outset, but I really love sharing this anecdote because mm-hmm. it's, it shares a little bit about my personal story as a first-gen student and, um, and how that's led to where I am now and the type of work that I get to do every day at Hoya Scholars working with first-gen students here uh, in and around Fullerton. So I, um, and you get, to, you get to learn a little bit more about where I come from too, which is always kind of nice. Right. So I, I'm originally from Modesto, Northern California, and you know I grew up in this wonderful home between orchards on one side and juvenile hall on the other. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of Juvie, uh, there was this huge, huge building, and the sign on the front of the building read MJC. Modesto Junior College. 
Now, growing up, I, I had no idea what that building was. I, I thought it was some sort of like mega high school or something. <laughs> I had no idea what college was. I would go to the grocery store down the street and I would see these young adults walking around wearing these sweatshirts with three or four letters on them, sort of like you now with you know UCSB, CSUF, UCLA, and I had no idea what those letters meant. So as I mentioned, I grew up in a wonderful home and my parents uh, did a wonderful job taking me step by step through that first-gen college student process for me, staying up late at night to do college applications, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. My mom's mantra always was and still is, do the best you can and we'll be proud of you no matter what. So mm -hmm. I was very fortunate, very blessed to grow up in this household. Uh, but like many of us, I also had a teacher that was a huge difference maker in my life. Uh, and that was my 11th grade history teacher, Mr. Peterson, shout out to Mr. Peterson. And, and he taught me three things that I think about uh, still 13, 14 uh, years later, I think about them every time I make a decision that has to do with our work at Hoya Scholars. So, you know, Mr. Peterson, he was the kind of teacher that, you know, he would walk in every day wearing a suit and a tie. Mm -hmm. And he would walk into the front of the classroom to one of the unoccupied desks. He'd turn the desk around. He would sit down in full view of the classroom and he would just have a conversation with us. Mm -hmm. He never had a slide deck behind him. He sometimes would have two or three keywords written on the whiteboard behind him. But for the most part, he just sat down and had a two-way conversation with us. Mm -hmm. And he just talked to us. He treated us like peers. He treated us like adults. And he talked to us about everything from the American Revolution to the Civil Rights Movement, everything in between. And he taught me lesson number one, which is a textbook informs a learner, but a relationship informs a leader. Mm -hmm. About halfway through the school year, he led us through a conversation on the Holocaust. And the title of his lecture on the Holocaust was not the atrocities of World War II. It was not the final solution. The title of his lecture was Bystanders. And, you know, while the Holocaust did serve as the conversational bookend for us, uh, Mr. Peterson led us in a lot of different uh, places during that conversation. One of the places that he led us to was 1960s Queens, the infamous case of Kitty Genovese, the case where a woman calls for help um, as she is assaulted and eventually killed, the case where nearly 40 of her neighbors failed to take action and respond to her cries the case that gave birth to the term bystander effect. Mm -hmm. And I remember Mr. Peterson was holding back tears as he implored a, a room full of high school juniors, he implored us to take seriously the lessons of the past so that we might choose better for our future. And that he, as a teacher, a mentor, a role model, he would get no peace unless we were willing to do better. Right. And he taught me lesson number two, which is a mentor is who his student becomes. On the very last day of the school year, we had our final exam, of course, and so I, I've been to UC Irvine, I've had my fair share of tough tests, mm -hmm. but I was, I was right in the middle or, or finishing up on the essay question on the, uh, the lack of justification uh, of the U.S. dropping atomic bombs during World War II, so I was already sweating through the test. Um, when suddenly Mr. Peterson asked everyone to put down their pencils and hand in their tests 
five minutes before the bell rang, five valuable minutes. So we did, we put our pencils down, we handed in the tests. Mr. Peterson went over to the side of the classroom. He, he grabbed one of those giant TVs on these big rolling carts that classrooms used to have. I don't know if you're familiar, but mm -hmm. he, he lugged it to the center of the classroom and, uh, and he popped in a VHS tape. And whenever I, I share this with our students, I, I often ex have to explain what a VHS tape is. <laughs> but he popped in a VHS tape. I'm very sorry to you, or I'm sorry <laughs> to any of your listeners who may be one of the five or six people who hasn't seen The Wizard of Oz, but because that's what he played, and I'm about to spoil it. Mm -hmm. um, but imagine this for a moment, the last few moments of The Wizard of Oz, where Dorothy and our main characters, they are confronted by the great and powerful Oz, the great and powerful wizard. They are backed into a corner, they are terrified, and they have no idea what to do. It is at that moment when the film's unlikeliest character then trots over on all fours to reveal the source of the booming voice to be that of just a man. And at that point, before Dorothy could click her heels, uh, Mr. Peterson hit pause on the VHS tape and he rolled the TV back into its corner. And he went up to the front of the classroom and, and he, he was a very earnest man. Mm -hmm. And he said this to us, he said this to a room full of 16 year olds, he said, before you go out that door today, enjoy your summer and become high school seniors. Before you graduate from high school, graduate from college, get an amazing career, uh, and become productive citizens of the world. As your history teacher, I don't care if you remember when the War of 1812 was, but I do remember that you, but I do care that you remember this. In whatever you do in life, never be afraid to be the one to pull back the curtain. And Mr. Peterson taught me lesson number three, which was be like Toto. <laughs> All that to say, you know, Hoya scholars, we believe every student should have the resources they need to succeed in high school, graduate from college, build the path to a fulfilling career, and become a community leader. Mm -hmm. I have the pleasure of helping to, uh, to, to do this work uh, day in and day out and integrate each of Mr. Peterson's lessons in what we do. Um, so we'll go ahead and we'll continue to jump in, but I wanted to sort of set the stage a little bit for the, mm -hmm. the value, what are the core values and what is the mindset that goes into the work of what we do here at Hoya Scholars. Yeah, thank you so much for that anecdote. You know, as a history major myself and mm -hmm. a lover of history myself, I think all of the history teachers of this world, all of the English teachers are really the, in, you know, the, their classrooms are the incubators of leaders. 100%, we owe them a great debt. We do, and they are just the most fantastic mentors that I've ever come to know myself, mm -hmm. too. So to all of the English and history teachers, this is a shout out to you. <laughs> Thank you to Mr. Peterson and, and all of our teachers. And uh, and again, sorry for the longest introduction <laughs> in the history of your show, I think. It's so. okay. There's a, I think there's a time for everything, and this anecdote just kind of helped set a different vibe to our interviews that mm. we've never really had before. Mm -hmm. So while we're on the topic of history, let's get into yeah. the history of Hoya Scholars, you know, when was it started, who founded it, what does this nonprofit do? Yes, so we, uh, we were founded in 2009 mm -hmm. by Dr. Kevin Doy and Carrie Jew, our two co-founders, and Dr. Kevin Doy is the founding pastor of a church here in Fullerton, not mm -hmm. far from here, Epic Church, okay. and uh, Hoya Scholars was formed uh, out of our sister nonprofit, Solidarity. Okay. For 20 years this year, Solidarity has been working in Fullerton's Garnet and Maple neighborhoods, 
in, in a very holistic way in, in terms of youth development, but also uh, faith development and discipleship in the community. A few years into Solidarity's existence, um, their volunteers got together and surveyed the neighborhoods that they served and discovered that uh, not a single resident could name someone who had gone to college and who had graduated from college. Mm -hmm. It was there that uh, Dr. Kevin Doy and Carrie Jew um, pulled together members of the community in, in a community forum uh, and identified the community need in a lack of education services. Um, and it was at that point that they founded Hoya Scholars. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned a moment ago, you know, I grew up a stone's throw from Modesto Junior College and our students here in and around Fullerton, they grow up a stone's throw from incredible institutions of higher education, mm -hmm. Cal State Fullerton, Fullerton College, and yet they grow up not necessarily believing that those institutions are there for them. Mm -hmm. uh, so what we get to do through our college readiness program is to bring in the right people to have the right conversations at the right time with our students, and through that work help to rewrite the narrative in their lives and instill that belief that those institutions, as well as all of the amazing things in this life, are in fact there for them. So that was, that's a little bit about where Hoya Scholars was kind of originated from, I would say. And that's a beautiful intention to have, and I think fulfilling mm -hmm. the need, you know, finding a need, fulfilling a need in the community, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. is one of the best things we can do for our community. So mm -hmm. what is your role in Hoya Scholars? How did you first get involved? I'm going to, I'll go with the, the brief version mm -hmm. of this. So, so I am, I'm so fortunate to be able to serve as the executive director of Hoya Scholars. Mm -hmm. I, I first came to Hoya Scholars in 2015, about seven years ago, as uh, fresh out of UC Irvine, looking for experience serving uh, first-generation students, and in 2015 became a volunteer mentor. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about our mentoring program in a moment. Mm -hmm. um, two years later, about five years ago, I was, I was hired on as our program coordinator, then director. Mm -hmm. And then uh, almost four years ago now, I was... Um, brought into the the interim executive director role and then in early 2019 um, began serving as the executive director. Mm -hmm. So in a nutshell, the uh, four or five different jobs or so that, that I'm responsible for are our day-to-day our -day operations, mm -hmm. um, our fundraising, uh, our program development, mm -hmm. uh, marketing, um, and our community relations and community partnerships. Is, generally how I would I would break it down right. um, and and you know probably my my favorite part of the job and this will not be a surprise to our, our board of directors or our volunteers or anybody who hears this but um, program development you know my goal going coming out of UC Irvine was I wanted to throw on I wanted to throw on a pair of khakis mm -hmm. and tutor and mentor with the students every day after school so my favorite part of the job is the program development because I really get to uphold our program pillars, mm -hmm. uh, which are um, mutual kinship, cascade mentoring, and indigenous leadership. And I could talk a little bit about um, those pillars if we if we have some time. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. So so our th our three organizational pillars. So so if if we think of um, of any ideas to implement a program or improve any of our services, we run them through our three organizational pillars and ask ourselves: Does this program address 
mutual kinship, cascade mentoring, and indigenous leadership. Mutual kinship. It's important that um, through, our, through our programs, all of our students are paired with volunteer tutors and volunteer mentors. They are paired with um, instructors who run our College Apps Academy program and another instructor who runs a parent and family academy program. The important question for us is we want to make sure that our students are not necessarily simply service recipients from our staff and volunteers, but we want to make sure that our uh, staff and volunteers are receiving just as much as um, they are contributing to our students and our families' lives. So our services, um, through a sense of mutual kinship, we believe on all being on the same uh, playing field, so to speak. Cascade mentoring. So, so this concept is, um, you know, we have this wonderful program called mentoring where each of our high school students is paired with a college-educated adult. And this adult walks with the student um, every other week, uh, every school year until they graduate from high school um, to take steps towards an academic success plan. Um, and so um, our goal with Cascade Mentoring is our students are receiving from their mentors with the goal that as college students they'll be able to continue to pour into our high school students who will pour into our middle school and our elementary school students. So that idea of Cascade Mentoring, that uh, uh, rising tide raises all ships. And then lastly, Indigenous Leadership. Our end game for Hoya Scholars is to have uh, programming that is led um, by the community, that is led from within the community. So in each of our four main programs, mentoring, tutoring, College Apps Academy, and Parent Academy, our end game for each of those is to ensure that um, folks, including students and family members from within our communities, they're the ones who are leading the programs. Got it. Wow, so those, you know, mutual kinship, cascade mentoring, and the last one is... Indigenous, indigenous leadership. Indigenous leadership. Yes, um, Those three can... It's, it's kind of short-term and long-term. You're building a community that can lead itself and that is producing leaders. Mm. Because mm -hmm. this is an idea that I kind of discussed with um, Jay Williams, who we had a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago on the show as mm -hmm. well, is that... Yes, you can give money, you can donate a lot, but it's the relationships that the volunteers and the mentors build with these kids mm -hmm. throughout the years that get these kids through. You know, That's those are the most valuable. Right. We, um, so this past spring, we celebrated our, our graduating high school class, and mm -hmm. this, this year we celebrated 12 high schoolers graduating from our programs in the Garnet and Maple communities. Mm -hmm. And um, so one of our students, her, her name is Angela, graduated from El Dorado High School. Mm -hmm. She's worked with her, her mentor, who's named Judy, since she was in about seventh, eighth grade. But what was so special about Judy and Angela's relationship is that Judy um, was previously an elementary school teacher and previously taught Angela, who, who later became her mentee. Uh -huh. So their earliest memory that Judy and Angela had was when Angela was, uh, was in first grade, I believe, mm -hmm. and this was at Topaz Elementary School. And her uh, Angela's mother, Olga, has told me this a few times, but she remembers after winter break, um, Olga would take her daughter, Angela, in first grade back to campus. And Angela was, was anxious and nervous about returning to school after the winter break. And Judy, who again was, her, was Angela's teacher at the time, Judy would take note of this and she would come out into the gate by the parking lot. And Angela was holding her mother's hand and Olga would place 
Angela's hand into Judy's hand. And so every day for several weeks, Judy, would, the teacher, would come out to meet Angela and Olga, take Angela by the hand and lead her into the classroom. Mm-hmm. And that was a beautiful way um, of, of beginning a relationship for the two of them. And of course, a few years down the road, as a middle schooler, Angela entered our mentoring program. Judy became Angela's mentor. They've had several wonderful years together. And this past year, Judy was able to, to speak at our graduation ce- celebration um, in tribute to all of Angela's hard work and, and her mother Olga's hard work as well. Right. So it's lifelong relationships that you're building through volunteering and mentoring. And mm-hmm. it's just so beautiful that they are able to get the support, you know. It's my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. My favorite thing in the world. It just couldn't get any better. Yeah. Our this. students are some of the yeah. most courageous people that we've ever met, as are our, our parents. I'll, so, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll quickly mention if it's all right, but our talking, you know, thinking about our parents. So we have a program called Parent Academy, mm-hmm. and it's a seven-week course. It's held in Spanish, and it's designed to bring the college readiness conversation into the home. Right. Um, you know, our parents, they, they just similar to my parents, um, they, they didn't grow up themselves uh, familiar, familiar with the college application process. Mm-hmm. So our parents in the years past hadn't had an expectation for their students to pursue college and higher education. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing in the world, Aruj, mm-hmm. is when we hold our parent academy class, we have our first session mm-hmm. and we have parents walking in through the door who are new parents or returning parents. And they walk in through the door knowing, knowing full well that they will probably leave that first session with more questions than they had when they first walked in. Mm-hmm. Because it is the college application process and all of that, it is so complicated. It's mm-hmm. so complex. It gets tougher and tougher. Right. Um, and our parents are so courageous for taking that on. Mm-hmm. But they take that on knowing full well that they'll graduate from that seventh and final class having all of their questions answered. And so... Um, I absolutely uh, am so grateful for our parents and their um, huge involvement in their students' lives and also in in our program. Right, because being first-gen means, you know, the parents are actually sometimes trying harder than the students because they may have not had those experiences, Mm -hmm. but for them to learn something. It's pretty complicated. It's a family affair. Yeah, absolutely. You're learning Mm -hmm. so much, you know. um, And to do it Mm -hmm. for your kid and try to put them through college, I think. And I think Hoya Scholars contribution to this Mm. process on both ends, parents, teachers, volunteers, mentors, as well as the students, Mm -hmm. that is truly incredible. The two biggest factors that Mm -hmm. we've seen in students' ability to succeed in our college readiness program Mm -hmm. has been um, students' intrinsic motivation Mm -hmm. um, to commit to the program and and parent involvement. And that's not going to surprise anyone. Of course. But far more important than any student's aptitude or any student's ability to re- to achieve a certain GPA is their intrinsic motivation mm-hmm. combined with with high parent engagement. Understood. So definitely shout out to all the parents and all those self-motivated Ooh, students. Of our Garnet <laughs> and uh, Maple Mamas. Yeah, Thank you. And all of our great. parents. All of our mm-hmm. parents. So let's, perhaps this might be a, a slightly more negative topic, but I do want to discuss the past two years. They mm. have been tough on the whole world. Mm-hmm. So I make sure to ask this question to everyone that I see, you know, how has the pandemic affected you and your organization? You know, what changes have you seen? So on 
I think it was a Wednesday, March 11th of 2020. I was sitting, it was after school. I was at Eldorado High School, mm-hmm. and I was sitting with one of our students who was a senior at that time. Her name is Maggie. And hey, Maggie, she goes to <laughs> IVC now. And uh, we were sitting in a, a computer lab in, in a bay. We were having Chick-fil-A, and we were putting together some, some videos for, for Hoya with our students. And the, the news came up from the WHO, you know, that declared a, a global pandemic. And I, I, I remember um, uh, the, those first two months were incredibly uh, difficult for everyone involved. In our community, the, the vast majority of our residents have uh, what, what are traditionally known as blue-collar jobs, uh, many retail, many in food service, many in cleaning homes. Mm-hmm. And um, so very quickly, uh, there became a gap in resources um, mm-hmm. for, you know, extending through our entire community. Um, we were very fortunate that we were able to join forces with nonprofits like Solidarity mm-hmm. and with about half a dozen local churches in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, to set up a mobile food pantry for our Garnet and Maple neighborhoods that was able to, I believe in, in three months, with, with no prior um, experience in disaster response, but in three months we were able to, through our partnerships, contribute over, um, I believe over $80,000 worth of essential goods and food to over 500 of our Garnet and Maple neighborhood families. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to secure our, our families in that way and close that gap of resources was, um, it, it was a fantastic journey, in, in, uh, not in a positive sense, mm-hmm. but in a, a sense that um, everyone is caught so off guard and that the community came together like I, I've never experienced before. And it was awe-inspiring. Awe-inspiring is what it was. And so we're grateful for you know, partners and folks like over at the Fullerton Collaborative and, and Pathways of Hope who are able to connect our our families with essential services and, and goods as well as rental assistance and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, we did transition our programs uh, to virtual, and I remember it was about two weeks before the virtual graduations for our students in 2020. And I was having a really hard time coming to terms with the fact that they weren't going to be able to celebrate in the way that we, we would have wanted to celebrate them or that they, their schools would have been able to celebrate them. And, um, you know, we were a couple of weeks away from our annual event that we have at Hoya. And as part of that annual event, we typically go to our high school seniors and we ask them for a favorite quote that we can share with our community while we're recognizing them for their um, for their graduation and high school achievements, and I, w- I was at a, this low point in late April, early May in 2020, and I remember I was looking through these quotes that these seniors had sent to us in February of that year, and this was this was pre-COVID, and I and I wrote a couple of them down because I wanted to share them. Mm-hmm. One of the quotes was um, from our seniors was how we deal with tragedy defines who we are. And the second one was that I, that I took note of was the sun will rise and we will try again. Mm-hmm. And I, I have no idea how our students were able to pull that off. But, um, you know, Stephanie Marcus, I, I owe you a lot because our students and their words at that time at really our darkest hour were the things that were able to pull me out of that low and continue to, to strive for uh, just to be there for our families and our students in every way that we, we possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um, but... 
as you can imagine, come now coming out of the pandemic um, in a little bit of a way, it's it's still been a huge transition time. And even though we are back to virtual, mm-hmm. um, distance learning has proved to be quite difficult for our students. Over 50% of our students reside in overcrowded housing and high density neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And even now coming out of the pandemic, now that we're back in person, Less than half of our local students, according to our local school district, are meeting uh, state mathematics standards. So um, so learning loss has proved to be um, quite true. Um, We are encouraged that we've retained uh, the vast majority of our students. Um, So we haven't lost any students um, in our program since COVID started. Um, And that is because, as we were mentioning a moment ago, Um, That core value in our students' ability to succeed, their capacity, that comes from an intrinsic motivation to continue to move forward despite the challenges. Um, So we've been encouraged by that and can now see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. You know, it's been it's been a tough two years, three years, I guess, going on to the third one for everyone. Mm -hmm. But those quotes show me just how well the students can adapt, you know, and and Mm -hmm. the skill set that I think Hoya has also contributed in providing them. They were amazing. And that year didn't look like any other year. We had, we ended up having to do, for a graduation celebration, we did a, a drive-through grad mm-hmm. parade through the neighborhoods, which was a lot of fun. Um, and it was actually very cool to see mm-hmm. our graduates dressed in their caps and gowns on their street corners <laughs> and yeah. seeing our neighbors come out onto the streets and saying, what's going on? There's this, this, this you know, uh, cavalry of, or, mm-hmm. you know, of cars with and there's this weird guy, me, who's in the head car, uh, screaming through a megaphone, you know, celebrating these these students in our neighborhood. And it's a very cool way to be able to acknowledge our students and hopefully not embarrass them in front of a lot of their neighbors and and friends and uh, local residents. So, um, Kristen, you also serve on the boards of OC Nonprofit Professionals Network, I do. Um, the Fulton Collaborative, Rotary Club of Fullerton. It's a lot of hats you're wearing. Um, what kind of work do these organizations do and what do you do on the boards? Yeah, so I, I have the pleasure of being on those three boards right now. Um, it, it's been, it's really uh, been able to help me fill my time. Right. <laughs> A lot of, the, you know, just volunteer work with these these three organizations that I, I believe in so dearly. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently came off the board of the Rotary Club of Fullerton. I was okay. there for two years and I served as the chair of the youth programming. Um, Essentially, the Rotary Club of Fullerton, I mean, our, our Fullerton Club has been around for, I think, 100 years this year is, right. our, is our centennial. And uh, the Rotary Club of Fullerton is dedicated to um, just supporting youth, supporting youth in need, supporting youth um, to be able to help grant access to, to better services in the community. Um, so I, I've had the pleasure of being the, the front person mm-hmm. to be able to deliver a lot of their programs, um, which is really wonderful because it naturally fits into a lot of the day in, day in and day out work that I have at Hoya Scholars. So right. um, they do a lot of work in high schools and colleges, um, service clubs, leadership retreats, that kind of thing. Um, so our, our Rotary, Rotary Club really is wonderful in that regard. For the last two or three years, I've also been on the board of the Fullerton Collaborative, which you've had a few folks mm-hmm. uh, from the Collaborative on your show, and they're all wonderful. The Fullerton Collab- when you walk into a Fullerton Collaborative general meeting, it's essentially like all the most amazing people mm-hmm. in the Fullerton nonprofit community 
wrapped into one room, which is so exciting to be a part of. Um, I'm the chair, or the co-chair, I should say, of a subcommittee called the, the Next Gen Youth Empowerment Subcommittee. Um, and generally what that is, is um, it's, it's not necessarily direct programming with the youth in our community, but it's uh, programming with our nonprofit leaders in the community. So we, we were talking a little, bit of, a little bit before, actually off air, about um, creating spaces for rest mm-hmm. and, and spaces to be able to step away, to be able to come back into the work and be refreshed. Mm-hmm. So one of my favorite things to do is every other month we have this electric nonprofit roundtable where we get <laughs> youth-serving nonprofit leaders from around the community. Mm-hmm. Um, we all get together and we, we just get a chance to debrief on what's happening in the city on that level, what's happening in the sector what's happening, um, boots on the ground, what are we seeing in our communities, and how can we best leverage one another's resources so that we're not reinventing the wheel and can can raise all of our community um, up through our services as a collective. And then finally, uh, for the last two, two and a half years, um, I've been on the board also of the OC Nonprofit Professionals Network. Okay. Um, this is a community that's been around for about 10 years, but after the pandemic hit, we relaunched uh, our organization. Um, um, and essentially, this is, it's in the name, it's a network for nonprofit professionals. Mm-hmm. I am the chair of the storytelling committee and my job, and this is why I love what you do so mm-hmm. much, my job is to identify um, stories from nonprofit professionals and help nonprofit professionals um, have their stories elevated in our community. So I get to tell the stories of our nonprofit professionals. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. (laughs) Which is really awesome. Rings a bell somewhere. Um, Last week we had a storytelling workshop where for three hours we jumped in. We had nonprofit professionals come in and I, I helped run this workshop. We did a lot of introspection. We talked about crafting our personal and professional narratives. Uh, and by doing that, we help to identify, you know, where have we been, where are we now, and where are we going to go, not just as professionals, but as within our personal narratives, you know, where are we going to be able to, to go in our own uh, journeys. Um, yeah, so I, I love being a part of all three of our boards. There's, there's never a dull moment. Um, in my job, and, and I think this is a part of the reason why. <laughs> right, there's always something happening. So mm-hmm. from your work in Hoya Scholars and these other three boards, and I'm sure you do much more than that as well, you clearly have a passion for being in nonprofits, right? You've been in this for a while. You, I, I think you mm-hmm. had some experience with this in college as well. I did, yeah. I, how, did, how did you know that? Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Definitely did not stop you. Um, but it's... How did you how do you discover and I think this is something for all of us college students who are f- trying to figure out what we want to do with our lives. You know, mm-hmm. how did you discover that this is what you're going to be in for the rest of your life? That's a great question. I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do mm-hmm. heading into college and it only it, only in my 3rd and 4th year of college did it begin to sort of take shape what mm-hmm. I what I really wanted to do. Um, and, it, and it's so funny that I actually phrase it that way because oftentimes now working with uh, high school students who are heading into college, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I avoid the words cautionary tale when talking about my <laughs> own experience, but I do use my own experience as a way to encourage students and families to think very intentionally about, especially if they're investing so much 
in terms of resources into uh, a four-year university education to really think about in your first and second years that pathway that you want to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my um, in my third year at UC Irvine, I um, signed up for my very first nonprofit, um, and it was called the One Campaign. And, and one uh, and the One Campaign at UCI was one chapter of a global nonprofit known as One. Mm-hmm. My favorite band, thanks to my dad, is U2, and the front man. I don't even know if someone, if anyone in this room would know who U2 is, and it's okay. Definitely not. I just see Definitely not. not We're shaking our heads. Um, that's okay. Their uh, front man okay. is Bono, and Bono, decades ago, and he's a very uh, socially active um, musician, as, as of course many are, but he started a global nonprofit called One, and their sole mission is to eradicate extreme po- extreme poverty uh, mm-hmm. globally. So um, that was my first nonprofit experience. It was taking this value of of tackling something like a global issue, but being able to make a difference on a small scale. So beginning to do volunteer projects and that kind of thing in my local community. As a fourth year in college, I joined this program called Access, which was serving as a peer mentor to first-generation college students. This was really where I was bit by the bug because Mm -hmm. it was the first time that I discovered, wow, um, as a fourth-year university student, um, I didn't think I had real skills to be able to peer mentor these students, but my greatest tool in my tool belt, and something I I often tell our volunteers, the greatest tool in my tool belt um, has and always will be my own story. Mm -hmm. And so that really empowered me to begin working with first-gen students. After I graduated from UCI, I was looking for volunteer opportunities. I found something called Hoya Scholars on Volunteer mm-hmm. Match. I gave them a call. Um, my then wife, Jessica, or my, my now wife, <laughs> my now wife, Jessica, was working for Hoya Scholars at the time, little did I know. And um, she picked up the phone and I, start, I signed up as a volunteer. My wife and I didn't get together until like three years ago, so mm-hmm. it was like a, there's a long story there. I won't get into that, right. but it was just a really cool coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started volunteering at Hoya Scholars as a mentor. I signed up as a volunteer um, at an elementary school in Tustin, mm-hmm. and um, the leader of that elementary school program in Tustin was an AmeriCorps member. I learned mm-hmm. um, with One OC, which is a, a Santa Ana nonprofit that accelerates nonprofit success. So through that, um, that program leader, I found 1OC and I found AmeriCorps. I worked for a year as an AmeriCorps at uh, a junior high school in Anaheim. And then I worked for a second year as an AmeriCorps at 1OC as their volunteer coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it, it was sort of just, I, I think, being in the right time and the right place also, mm-hmm. but planting as many seeds as possible for myself personally. and. By volunteering with Hoya Scholars in 2015, I had no idea that that would lead to a staff role in 2017 and an executive directorship in 2019. Mm-hmm. So, it was, um, so that's a little bit about how I came into this field. Right. So you eventually just got up, you know, you climbed the nonprofit ladder. I was ladder. very fortunate <laughs> right? and uh, I was very lucky and I, I had some incredible mentors in, my, in the journey along the way. And um, even now, I, I, there are dozens of people who I consider to be mentors. Um, uh, Many more than I can impart on myself. It takes a village. It Mm -hmm. takes a village to get you to where you are. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you for um, sharing your story. And I think 
as personally as somebody who is still trying to figure out what to do with my life. It's so helpful to know. You're on the right track. You're doing you're doing some amazing things. Thank you're you. shedding light Appreciate on it. incredible incredible um, leaders in the community and mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of our local issues. So mm -hmm. you're wonderful stuff. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So we're finally at that last question. What a great tie-in to some more incredible people that I yes. don't know about currently. Mm -hmm. And you're going to inform me. Who should I interview next? Wish I knew of anyone in <laughs> the community. No, no. Um, <laughs> there's no shortage of awesome people mm -hmm. um, in our community. You know, I, I was... I, you mentioned earlier you were kind of looking through my like social media and stuff. So I was looking through your like your, the, uh -huh. the observer history and some of the past mm -hmm. videos, and I've seen some of the interviews that you've done. Right. I would have recommended someone like Jay Williams or Ruthie mm -hmm. Hanchett I saw. Zoot Velasco is one of my favorite people ever. Mm -hmm. um, I would recommend like probably three people, mm -hmm. but let me know if they've been on the show. So okay. Kevin Mawong, nice. who, oh, yay who um, <laughs> is the executive director of Solidarity. Okay. And he is like my mentor and my blood brother because uh, he and I um, are, were both the succeeding executive directors of our nonprofits um, about four years ago. And Hoya Scholars was born out of Solidarity. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a kinship there. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I consider Solidarity as our, our sister nonprofit in many ways. So. Kevin Mawong, um, Solidarity, I'll send you everyone's information after mm -hmm. this. Um, another person, I'm not sure if you've had um, Deborah Stout, Dr. Deborah Stout. Not yet, but um, I've heard the name. Yes, yeah, so, so uh, Dr. Deborah Stout, she is the executive director of the Fullerton Collaborative. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm on the board of the Fullerton Collaborative. Um, but the Collaborative, as I was mentioning earlier, is a wonderful, um, uh, place to bring together all of our leaders from the the social impact sector mm -hmm. of Fullerton and the surrounding areas and um, she herself has a nonprofit consulting organization that, that she works mm -hmm. through and, and has partnered with Hoya quite a bit um, someone else who I have to mention this person they're a little bit in the in the greater Fullerton area but mm -hmm. um, Victoria Torres I, I would recommend Victoria Torres um, I first worked with at 1OC, and she used to be the director of personal and professional development. Mm -hmm. she, she now works at the Sam Welly Foundation um, through stewardship and, and community partnerships, but she truly has her pulse on everything in the nonprofit, social profit sector mm -hmm. in North Orange County. Um, she is the board chair of the OC Nonprofit Professionals Network, of which I'm on the board of, mm -hmm. and she truly is the leader of the next generation of nonprofit leaders in our community. So Victoria Torres, if she has the time, <laughs> would absolutely recommend all three of those um, uh, of those individuals. And there's dozens more that I could recommend. Definitely. We will be reaching out to all of your recommendations. I greatly yes. appreciate it. Awesome. Of course. Yeah. Of Thank course. Thank you so much yes. for your time. You have contributed so much time to us. You have contributed so much knowledge and experience to us, both personally and whoever is listening to this podcast, I think, would greatly benefit from your work and what you're doing. And just, you know. Do wanna? I, I just want to express my gratitude. I've never been a part of Hoya Scholars, but what the work you're doing is very valuable. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. And um, yes, thank you for the invitation. I mm -hmm. really enjoyed being here. Um, and yes, I, I, I love it because this all think opportunities like this. And mm -hmm. thank you for this. This always um, 
is a great way to not only just spread awareness with the community, but mm-hmm. raise the profile of a lot of what our students and families are doing, which is awesome. So Definitely. thank you. So that is it for today's uh, episode, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye, Fullertonians. Alrighty, that is the end of today's podcast. Fullertonians, thank you for listening. Be sure to follow the Fulton Observer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to keep up with the latest Fulton news. Full-length stories of all our headlines are available on the Fulton Observer's website, or you can subscribe to the print edition that gets mailed to your home every two weeks for $39 a year. You can now also see what events are happening in Fulton with Jesse Latour's new weekly articles that cover upcoming events in our community. This podcast is curated entirely by college student interns. If you would like to support our college journey, please donate at the Fulton Observer's website. If you would like to sponsor this podcast, email ads at fultonobserver.com. That's ads at fullertonobserver.com. If you have any ideas for who we should interview next, email contact at fultonobserver.com or DM us on our social media. Special thanks to Christian Esteban for his time. Jackson Henry did a fantastic job editing the podcast. Bianca Bravo bravely manages our communications. And I'm Arush Navid, your host.